Welcome. 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 Stand and welcome. Hello, good evening and welcome to Discovery. 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 Listen to Discovery. Discovery. <gasps> Discovery. Discovery. Sounds like a lot of fun. Somewhere in space, this may all be happening right now. Now to the speeded up brain of a user, that sound lasts for four hours and sounds like this. Discovery. Once again, welcome to Discovery, the little science show that could. And this week's show, we'll be delving into perpetual motion machines. And with the civil unrest that has swept across France and a number of other European countries, we'll be taking a little look at the latest development in non-lethal weapons. But before we can get to any of that, here's the Discovery Science News with Sam McConey. Thank you, Matt. Well, it seems that scientists at the University of Edinburgh have been trying to help out poor cats with asthma. Cats can get asthma just like humans. And like humans, cats' asthma is triggered by certain things such as smoke, dust, and even special types of kitty litter. And possibly even humans. Now to human medicine. A 15-year-old boy has tracked down his sperm donor father using just the internet and a swab of his own DNA. He sent away to an internet genealogy website and found people with similar DNA um, who had the same surname. Then, using information that was given to the mother at the time of insemination, such as the date of birth and the place of birth, he was able to find out where his father graduated from university and then arrange a meeting. Elsewhere, at Iwata University in Japan, scientists have been studying the zazen Sol or the Zen Meditation Plant, which maintains its own temperature even when it's freezing. Unlike mammals, which maintain their body temperature everywhere, the plant only maintains its temperature in its central splowering spike. And apparently, when you plot the trajectory of the temperature versus the temperature at another time, you get a strange attractor for all those out there who know chaos theory. Archaeologists have uncovered one of the earliest examples of abecedary, which is writing letters out in a sequence, for instance, in the alphabet, A, B, C, D, etc. The example is from the 10th century BC, BC, just south of Jerusalem, and contains 22 letters of the early Hebrew alphabet. Otherwise, over in New Zealand, scientists have been developing a red kiwi fruit. About five years ago, the gold kiwi fruit was produced by the same company. The new type of kiwi fruit is said to be high in antioxidants and very good for you. Energy for free. Getting rid of our dependence on fossil fuels. These are the types of dreams man has had for a long time. One of the answers to these, or one of the possible answers, has been the perpetual motion machine. The problem is, it seems to be against the law of physics. Matt Francis reports. Now, I'm sure most people would have heard of this concept of perpetual motion machines, these wacky contraptions that can somehow continually do some kind of action forever without any energy having to be put in all the time. Now, it's also pretty well known that perpetual motion machines are supposed to be impossible, and they're only considered by mad, deranged, and ultimately failed backyard inventors. Now, according to science, perpetual motion machines just simply can't work because they violate a set of rules that scientists feel just just can't be broken. 
Now, these are known as the laws of thermodynamics. Now, thermodynamics is the science that deals with the flow of energy and, and heat and things like that. Now, without going into too much detail, there are two main types of perpetual motion machines, and they can be broken down basically based on which law they violate. Now, the first kind are fairly simple. They violate something called the conservation of energy. This is fairly simple. You can't get in, well, you can't get energy for free. So, for instance, if you want to make your car run, you have to put petrol in it. So, your car's engine turns chemical energy, which is stored in the fuel, into mechanical energy of the car's motion. So, you can think of this as the engine making mechanical energy, but it has to use up something else to do that. So, energy in must equal energy out, which kind of makes sense. Now, if a machine uses more energy than it makes, then it doesn't conserve energy, and this violates this very simple law. You just can't run a car without fuel. So that's the first kind of machine. But there's a second kind of perpetual motion machine that's a little more tricky and a lot more subtle, and this is the kind that's uh, created much more problems over the years, because this kind of machine doesn't violate the conservation of energy, doesn't require anything be magically created, but instead what it does is it turns energy into different forms and then it turns it back again, but it does so without losing anything. So to try and explain what I mean by this, the classic example of this kind of perpetual motion machine is the self-powered water wheel. So let's see, step by step, how you can make your very own perpetual motion machine. So firstly, you find just a nice bucket. Then fill it up with water. Then what you need to do is to put some energy into this thing. So to do that, you can lift the bucket up and hang it off something in the air. Now, in order to lift the bucket up, you've used up some energy, which probably came from the wheat bix you had this morning. Now, you want to be able to get this energy back. One way you could do this is to, say, poke a hole in the bottom of the bucket. Now, the energy you put in lifting the water up will then get turned into energy of the water flowing down. Now, you want to try and grab this energy and put it into your machine. So you can do that by maybe sticking it like a water wheel into the flowing water. So the water will hit this and make it spin around. So now the energy has gone into making something turn. And if we can connect this wheel to some sort of pump that collects all the water and pumps it all back up to the bucket at the top again, then the whole thing should just go forever. So the water keeps flowing, which keeps the pump running, and then the pump keeps the water flowing. So it sounds like a great plan. We can just keep this thing running forever. We can use this to power something else maybe and maybe lose just a little bit of energy. Um, but the problem is that any amount of friction, like or heat or sound or anything else that's produced by this machine, um, all of these sort of things, they take energy to create. So if you can hear that paddle wheel flipping around, it creates energy to make that sound. And that's energy that's coming out of this machine. So the whole contraption loses energy and eventually will stop. So it might seem that this comes down to just using like really low friction parts for the machine or something like that. Indeed, these, peop these days, people that come up with these machines are fond of using things like magnetic parts that float in the air to reduce friction. But there's a law even deeper than worrying about friction that just doesn't allow this kind of machine. So if perpetual motion machines just violate some fundamental science, why do these ideas keep coming back? Now, one explanation, at least in modern terms, is that we're facing at the moment what seems to be a looming energy crisis, where we, we need to find some way to, to get away from using fossil fuels, and the idea of some sort of machine that you can do something useful with without needing to put energy in, or at least not very much energy in, is very appealing. Indeed, there are plenty of conspiracy theories out there that claim that these kind of machines have already been invented, but the evil governments and oil companies have kept them and their inventors locked away so as to maintain their evil grip over us. But there is also a very interesting angle on this whole story. 
Because, you see, there's a branch of science that's a long way removed from cogs, gears and motors and machines and magnets, things like that. But this branch of science may have already found some contraption that seems to break some of the same laws that perpetual motions would need to break in order to work. Now, this contraption, as it turns out, is known to everybody as the universe. And cosmologists, the scientists who study the properties of the whole universe, have found some startlingly sloppy account-keeping in the way the universe deals with energy. Now, it all comes back to Einstein and his famous theory of relativity. Now, this is a little bit confusing, but this is the theory that tells us about how really big things work, like universes. But the problem with relativity and energy comes down to the fact that in relativity, everything is, well, well, it's relative. So what you see or measure or feel depends on things like where you are, how fast you're moving, if you're accelerating, if you're near something very heavy. All of these things, uh, so different observers or different people in these different situations would look at the same thing and see, sort of be able to measure different things, measure differently how much energy was there or how fast something moving. Now, all these different observers, in relativity, they can't even agree on simple things like where over there is or where now is or when now is. So if we can't do these simple things, energy becomes much more tricky. And people have done thought experiments where it seems possible to chain galaxies together and somehow, as the universe expands, get some energy out of that for free. Or there's some even some strange properties with things like the vacuum. So empty space seems to contain energy that the universe seems to be able to use without, without any, any uh, sort of consequences. The universe seems to get it for free. So the possibility is if the universe can do some of these things, then maybe someday we can as well. Now, it's a far cry from observing these strange things that might happen on the scale of universes from building perpetual motion machines, but not all the mysteries of the universe and nature have been discovered. And there we have it. The universe, evil conspiracies and perpetual motion machines. Why don't you try making one at home?
TK20 by Reno. Now, have you ever wondered when someone's going to get finally get off their bum and design a phaser that you can set to stun, just like in Star Trek? Well, it turns out that we have people on the case right now. You're good friends at the US military. Problem is, whilst they can stun, you end up in the ground in a slobbering heap. It's all part of a move to non-lethal weapons. Now, we've seen non-lethal weapons have been around for a fairly long time. We have things like tear gas. We have things like um, the the beanbag bullets, rubber bullets, and things like that. I, I, I assume when we're talking about non-lethal weapons, we're, we're not just talking about you know being lucky and shooting someone in the legs. Oh, well, it didn't kill them. So no, yes, yeah. basically an alternative to shooting someone with a lead bullet. Right, which which probably will kill them if it hits them in the right place. Usually. Whereas if you hit someone with a beanbag, unless you're really unlucky, that's not going to kill you. Yes, that's right. right. And, right. Yeah, and it may seem funny that beanbags are actually used in crowd control situations and they are actually fired out of a normal 12-gauge um, shell out of a double-barrel shotgun. They fire them at um, all sorts of people. One of the um, the problems with these non-lethal weapons is sometimes they go wrong, and just as Chris was saying, if um, if you fire it, uh, even a beanbag at too close a range, it's not it's really going to ruin your day. In the case of um, when we had the the siege in Moscow, actually I think it was around October in two thousand two, when uh, eight hundred people were held hostage for three days in that school by the terrorists, the the Russian special forces instead of uh, storming in there with uh, machine guns blazing because they're all children and, and teachers and they didn't want to kill anyone. So what they did is they pumped the whole uh, school full of this calmative gas. What they actually did, though, is they killed 130 people by doing this. Oops. Yes, and, of course, sadly, um, most of those were actually children. But it brings to the, to the fore the, the problem of using non-lethal weapons. The first tick box you have to cross off is that um, they're non-lethal. You don't kill anyone That's using true. them. Yeah. But so, as I mentioned before, our friends at the U.S. Uh, military and a whole other range of U.S. institutions have been developing these non-lethal weapons, and they have a whole range of them. Starting with um, this one, which I think is actually they range from the, the fairly cool, almost Star Trekish to the, um, the rather scary. Now, I'll start up at the, uh, the, the cool spectrum. And I suppose it's only cool if you're on the, uh, the firing end, but it's very... Uh, it looks like something off... Not Star Trek, it's not, not like a phaser, but it's this massive gun, something you could picture uh, Sylvester Stallone or um, Judge Dredd or someone firing. But what it actually is, is a laser rifle. Now, it's not one of those play laser rifles that you can go buy in Kmart, but it's, it's something that is actually designed to temporarily blind people. Now, the UN has actually, since 1995, the UN has actually had a convention called the Protocol on Blinding Laser Weapons, which outlaws any weapon that permanently blinds someone. Now, masters at getting around pesky UN conventions, the US have said this is only going to temporarily blind them. Oh, so, so that's okay. Temporarily so, for their lifespan. That's yeah, right. Yeah. So we're going to get it into full service. Now, this actually is you know, a pr- in prototype stage, so it's looking at coming in. Um, so what happens if they're wearing mirrors? Well, no, they no, actually mirrored have... Mirrored sunglasses. Yeah. yeah, see, that's what you need. No, but uh-huh. they have 
a, uh, a thing to get around that. Oh, so so what we, were, actually, we were kidding, but they've actually got it. <laughs> they've actually thought, okay, what if someone just wears goggles to get, re- get around this? They actually have a two-wavelength laser system. So it, if, it's not gonna, um, if the first wavelength's not going to get through, it uses the second wavelength to get through. But moving on to the, um, the second level of, um, of scariness is things like uh, the taser weapons. Now, they've been the, t- the problem with the taser weapon, and I think everyone should be familiar, is like you get a, a massive electric shock. Um, they've been used since the 1970s by the police forces. But the problem with them is they only have a range of about seven metres. And so if you're uh, staring down some sort of crazy person with a, with a knife or a sword or a gun, seven metres can be a little uh, bit close. And so they want a, a much larger range. And they're talking about ranges of being able to, like a, a sports stadium or an auditorium or in the street. Really? Because if you're going to take someone down, you, you, know, you want to be able to do it from the convenience of your armchair. Really. Well, that's, yeah. that's right. Or from a, from a helicopter. Yeah. So you can make a, a quick getaway. Even better. These weapons are going to use really interesting technology. Things like the inertial capacitive incapacitator. Now, what this does, this fires a thin film charged stored device. So it's a little tiny film of charged, uh, stored charge that um, once it hits you, it actually discharges its massive electrical shock, leaving you in a um, slobbering mess on the ground. Which is really cool from a physical point of view, but from a violence point of view, kind of nasty. It is, it is. Going up to the, the next level of scariness is a it's not quite a plasma rifle but what it actually does this has a range of two kilometers and it was specifically designed to deliver the most pain that the human body could possibly um, be inflicted with good because you know death would be quick that's right (laughs) we want to really hurt people now what this does it fires a chemical laser at you and when this chemical laser actually hits you or any any solid object that it encounters it actually creates a plasma field. Now, this is where this is. It actually is a stun gun, except it's not like a stun gun like you see in Star Wars or phasers set to stun in Star Trek, because it actually excites every single nerve ending in your body and delivers the most excruciating pain that you can ever feel. The problem is that they don't know what the long-term physical and psychological effects are. Now, there are some more. There are some other scarier ones, but they may be something that we may inflict on you on another day. In 1964, astronomers Arno Penzias and Robert Wilson couldn't figure out the cause of a really annoying hiss of background noise messing up their radio telescope observations. When they finally tracked it down, they realised the hiss was coming from everywhere at once. The noise was coming from the universe. They had literally tripped over the slowly fading explosion of the Big Bang itself. Discovery, the National Science Radio Show. Maybe we're not everywhere in the universe yet, but we are broadcast Australia-wide, bringing you the latest news, views, glamour and gossip from the world of science, thanks to the Community Radio Satellite. And finally on Discovery, as is tradition, all the news that didn't make the news. So let's go around the table. Matt, what have you got? 
Well, I've got uh, the latest update on the the debate in America that seems to well, it seems like it will never sort of stop, which is between creationism and evolution, or as it's called nowadays, I guess the uh, intelligent design. And of course, it's not just evolution. in America because you know our our, uh, our wonderful education minister Brendan Nelson sort of brought it over to us, saying, "Oh, I, I support that definitely. Bring it in." Well, yeah, I guess. I mean, I guess it's probably a debate that will keep raging everywhere for quite a while. The, the latest seems to be that uh, Kansas um, has has moved the school board there. Seems to against you know, huge protests from, from from teachers and parents, but I'm sure supported by by um, other aspects of the community. Um, has moved to um, sort of bring more of the intelligent design into their school curriculum, while um, a different state, Pennsylvania, has stricken it. Um, and replaced all of the the pro intelligent design people on the school board. So I suspect these political machinations will will carry on sometime yet. And Sam, uh, what have you got? News that didn't make the news this week. If you wanted to power a small electrical device somewhere, say you wanted to power a small electrical device, what would you use? A battery. Battery. Batteries are good. Yeah, you get, you get little uh, calculators with uh, solar cells on them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Solar's nice and green. Uh, yep, but. The sun isn't around all the time, so what do you want to do if you want to use it in the dark? Um, well, it seems that uh, geologists who wanted to monitor seismic activity on a mountain, etc., have been turning to little windmills. Cool. The air's always there. Well, yeah. hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully um, enough to power a little tiny windmill. Yeah. So even well, if it's dark, hopefully there's a wind. So mm, if yes. we cover two bases, we'll, we'll be right. Well, these windmills are about 10 centimetres across and only require a gentle breeze, say, of around 16 kilometres per hour, which sounds like a, a lot to me, but for wind, that's not much. Mm. Um, the uh, little generators, rather than using turbines, which uh, conventional windmills use, they use little piezoelectric cells, I think. Okay, so just, but, but just turning sort of the, the movement into electricity in yes. some efficient way. Basically, the um, as the little cell is either stretched or rotated, it turns the vibrational energy into electricity. Um, and you get performance increases. For a turbine, you'd get about 1% of the wind power turned into electricity, whereas with the piezoelectric generator, it gets around 18%. The which turbine's is, that low, 1%. Oh, well, for a large turbine, but for a small turbine of around 10 centimetres... You don't really get much out of it. You don't yes. have the turn. 1% of mm. bugger all is um, not much. Not terribly yeah. much at all. But this, this new this new system sounds like a ripper. So for mm. piezoelectric cells, you can actually use them in other places as well. For instance, um, if you want to put a sensor on the outside of an airplane, um, airplanes shake a lot. These cells react to vibration. So you can power a, 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 um, a little circuit on the outside of an airplane without running wiring through the aircraft to power cool. it. Just by using the vibrations. Mm. Cool. Now, Chris, uh, it's not very often you hear the phrase "stupid seabirds." Stupid seabirds, dumb birds, dumb, dumb bird life. We we know that that global warming is a problem. You know, mm. we we don't really have to bring out terribly much more evidence of that. But every once in a while, you just get something that comes through the news desk that you make, makes you think, "Geez, it's just it's bloody everywhere." Seabirds are the latest to get a, a, a bad rap on this. Um, seabirds. Uh, are having problems because as things are warming up, um, the fish are migrating. They're going elsewhere because the the ocean temperatures aren't suitable to them anymore, which means that the seabirds don't have their food anymore. And you'd you'd think that'd be a problem, but surely the birds can just go and eat something else. The trouble is that if you start depriving a bird of food at a young age, it actually doesn't develop 
brain-wise. Oh. kind of misses out. It gets a bit malnourished. And brain uh, birds don't have a big brain to begin with. So we're basically getting dumb birds. Not smart enough to go and look for food. So the whole global, global warming thing means that the food's going elsewhere, the birds are becoming dumber, and... We're losing the birds. So, uh, what sort of birds are we talking about? Is this seagulls, albatrosses? I mean, are these are. Uh, uh, now, see, now you're making me of, actually read the, of, uh, read the article. <laughs> plenty of stupid seagulls down on the beach, but uh, okay, so they the, seem pretty well fed. The, the experiment that the, that we're talking about here was talking about kitty wake chicks, mm. right? Kitty wakes or kitty wakes or I don't know. I'm not. What, what do I look like? An ornithologist? Uh, seabirds, mate. All right. right, seabirds. Dumb birds stupefy themselves into extinction. Sadly, that's all we have time for here at Team Discovery. If you'd like some more information on any of the stories we featured this week, or if you can tell me where my kids have hid the remote control, you can contact us on discovery at 2scr.com. Warming the seats on this week's show were Sam McConey, Matt Francis, Matt Clark, and Chris Stewart. Discovery was also produced by Chris up here in the tumultuous studios of 2SER Sydney. And we're also broadcast right across Australia via the Community Radio Network. If you think that radio is just so year 2000 and you'd rather listen to our podcast instead, you can find us at feeds.feedburner.com slash discoveryradio. That's feeds.feedburner.com slash discoveryradio. I'm Matthew Clark, and I expect to see you back here next week when we do it all again right here on Discovery. Discovery.